This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Yet more terror. Or is that just another day of the Clinton campaign? Veritas. Welcome back, broadcast partners, friends, to the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Jay Severin. It is the Jaily News, American Tragic Comedy in two acts. Act one. The scene exactly 24 hours ago at Paris's uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport would have included men, women, and children filing around Terminal 1, getting on board flight, I believe it was 804, from Paris to Cairo, Egypt. As by now you know, that flight never arrived. 56 souls plus crew lost. Most of the media, unsurprisingly, has been speculating that this is terrorism. I, I, I go along with that, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, at the same time, I have absolutely no idea. I do know everything that has been reported on this story in every medium, from BBC to Radio Moscow to French Radio to all-American media up until 3 o'clock Eastern time, which it was eight minutes ago here. And so if you have any curiosity at all, argument, question, consideration to discuss about the downing of the plane, I know as much as any civilian can know as of this moment, which I warn you, ain't much. But it's it's the basics. It's everything that's been reported. But, of course, we never stop there. I would encourage us all, whether here on the show or privately, to go on to other questions, such as, what, what was this a bomb? We have no way of knowing. Was it pilot or co-pilot? Was it crew suicide? We have no way of knowing. Did the behavior of the plane mimic a massive mechanical failure? Yes, but it also mimicked what happens in the case of both bombs and crew suicide. So we don't know that. Oddly, we know that there were 
Uh, was there an air marshal aboard? What Was there one air marshal aboard? No, there wasn't one air marshal aboard. Were there two air marshal aboards? No, there were three international air marshals aboard. Which just gets me thinking. Do you believe it's very difficult for an Islamist to apply for a job as anything, especially internationally? Do you think that an Islamist can apply for the job of air marshal and know that if they turn him down, he's going to sue them so they don't dare turn him down? How many Islamists do you think are air marshals right now? I think a lot. But that's just my speculate. That's just my ignorant speculation. Like most of my ignorant speculation, it's also called news. Prediction and then news. But that's one thing that concerns me. Another is... If what brought down this flight, if this is an act of terrorism, what brought down this flight and what brought down this flight is a bomb or anything or anyone else that boarded, I'm sorry, boarded the plane in Paris. Remember this? After recent events in Paris, the French government decided to do something we would never do. Obama would never do this because it would be seen as profiling, which is worse than murder in Obama's eyes. It's worse. It's not as bad as murder. It's worse than murder in Obama's eyes because it's discrimination, racism. So the French did something we would never do. The French decided to identify and background check again, presumably, the backgrounds of every single human being at uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport that has access to secure areas, period. Pretty big job. Pretty big job. Every secure area in the airport. Everything from the security personnel on in, caterers, cleaners, mechanics, pilots, flight crew, every conceivable human being with every conceivable function that can get to the runways, that can get to the planes, that has easy of uh, unfettered access to secure areas all the way up to the cockpit they identified every single every single employee of Charles de Gaulle airport and investigated or presumably reinvestigated them and do you know that they out of i don't know how many there are i mean i, I imagine several hundred, which would be a pretty impressive number if I told you that they they actually decided they had to fire three people. They didn't decide they had to fire three people as Islamic crazy people. You know how many they fired? 79. 
The number's either 74 or 79. I, I, I can't remember. But we'll, we'll, let's, be, let's be liberal and use the lower number. They identified these people and they fired on the spot. They fired 74 people against whom they felt they could make an airtight case and cut off any legal action, any claims of discrimination and racism and everything else and profiling. They fired 74. They had 74 people with access to the airplanes from the cleaners to the caterers to the pilots that they can substantiate were Islamist radicals to the point that they believe they could prove it and they should be working nowhere near an airport. 74, maybe 79. Do we do that? Do you know how easy it is to not state your religion? Do you know how easy it is for an Islamic nutball to get a job at a nuclear plant in America or uh, an airline or or airline or anything else? Okay. Uh, I, I don't want to get into this further because, again, I try to stay near those things I know and I'm getting near the edges of what I don't know here. I'm just speculating. But can you imagine they found 74, 74 people that, about whom they were so sure that they were about to go shite house that they fired them on the spot? How many did they miss? How many other airports in Indonesia? How many other airports in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, in other countries, how many other, in Iran, in the United States of America, how many other airports have done this? None. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. The best television show, uh, and this isn't its number, this is our number, 1-888-900-3393, 1-888-900-3393, comments, considerations, complaints, bull mole, as you feel appropriate, contributors to this, our show, uh, 1-888-900-3393, speak to millions, no charge, here is an opportunity to speak to more people right now to insinuate into their thinking, if you're good, 
to insinuate into their thought process yours and to have a chance to do it to more people than most of us will ever have an opportunity to do. I mean, most people, you're all leading and will go on to lead fruitful lives. You are the best and brightest. But strictly in terms of how many people have heard, will have heard your opinion when you die. And, And frankly, it's of rather more value now while you're living. And we, we need it. We need people to know your opinion, especially if it agrees with mine, uh, as soon as possible, given the shape we're in here. Uh, it's a crucial time. So think about it. How many people will hear my advice, my thoughts, my polemic, my opinion? How many other human beings will hear my voice and hear what I have to say in an attempt to influence what they are thinking before I die. And even better, while they're still alive and I am. And I venture to say that if if and when you call this show, this will be the first of one hopes, unless you don't agree with me, um, then I hope people don't hear you or listen to you. But if if we are kindred spirits... A phone call now to a number I'm about to reiterate uh, gives you the opportunity to insinuate your thoughts into the minds of probably more people than you'll ever again talk to at one time. Right? I mean, uh, for most of us, on balance. one 888 See, I think it's... I just find it irresistible and hope that you do. If you're listening to this show, you believe almost certainly correctly that your point of view is manifestly worthwhile, is in fact superior. You might not put it that way because you are more modest than I. But you believe that you have a damned fine opinion. On things. And what a pity if instead of at the end of your life, if there was some way to tabulate this, you know, 475 people had, oh, here's a late entry, 476. That guy was standing in line at, behind you at the movie ticket line, and he, you didn't know he was listening to you. 476 people have heard your opinions on matters of the day. You could turn that into instantly at any second into exponentially greater numbers, national numbers, international numbers, free. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. All right, so that's it on my uh, raving on the plane. We'll find out what it was. I'm guessing terror. I always guess terror. Uh, For the same reason, I always play the middle dozens at the roulette wheel and generally win money. It's a good bet. It's the James Bondian bet. It's the Ian Fleming bet. There are three dozens, so-called, on the roulette wheel. Zero through whatever it is. Zero through 15, 16 through whatever it is, right? There, there, There are three 
there are three dozen numbers that can hit. So you can play them as dozens. You put it down on one dozen, it pays three to one. You put it down on two dozen, two of the dozens. In other words, in the first case, you have a one out of three chance the ball's going to drop for you. And you get paid off three to one. If you bet on two of the dozens, there's a two and three chance that the ball's going to drop for you. I have always used the Ian Fleming, James Bondian favorite bet. This was how James Bond uh, caught up his funds to go play Baccarat, which was more expensive, higher stakes, which he really loved. But the way he built his bankroll to get the money to go play Baccarat was to play roulette. And the standard James Bondian bet was to bet on two of the three dozens on every roll. It doesn't matter which. The, the odds are the same. Your instincts and superstitions may lead you one way or another, but bet on, put down uh, 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 a $25 chip and then another one on two of the three possible groups of dozens. And there's a two and three chance you'll win. There's a one and three chance you'll crap out. You, you'll lose. But if you bet on two of the three dozens, you have turned the odds of of God and mankind and the house in your favor. It is the highest uh, favored bet for the bettor in the house, as I understand it. That's what Ian Fleming says. Anyone who created James Bond, I believe him. So you put down two $25 chips, right? You know you're going to lose one. Now, usually when I go, I've saved up some money, so I deal only in $50 or $100 chips, usually 50s. I put 50 down on the first dozen. I put 50 down on the second dozen. They roll it. The ball drops. Two out of three times, generally, I win. And what happens is they take away one of the $50 chips, and they give me back two because the because on the one I won. And so what I have in front of me is I I I bet, let's say using hundred dollar chips, I bet two hundred, two chips, right? One hundred, one hundred, bet two chips. I know I'm gonna lose one. I do. But then they pay me two to one on the one that I won. And so what I have in front of me is is three hundred dollars. For a $200 bet, I have a two and three chance of making that $300. I have lost, but only twice in my life have I left a weekend in Vegas uh, down money. I have, as my child bride will attest, often returned home with fabulous parting gifts. Uh, and I don't think she's here right now. I don't your car so i could tell you and it also bankrolls other important uh, recreational activities available in las vegas though not legally one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three my first and most compelling duty to you to each other it seems to me is to state unequivocally as to the megan kelly megan kelly 
Megyn Kelly special featuring, starring Megyn Kelly. It's my my duty to you to remind you that the Megyn Kelly, Megyn Kelly special with Megyn Kelly, starring Megyn Kelly, um, that interview was not about Megyn Kelly. It really honestly had nothing to do with Megyn. It was truly not about Megyn and Trump and Megyn and the campaign and Megyn and politics and Megyn and policy and Megyn and Hillary and Megyn and Megyn and Megyn. It really honestly is not about me, said Megyn. And since the broadcast was the Megyn show, it really wasn't about Megyn. I hope this makes it clear it's not about Megyn. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. And though it may surprise you here on the Blaze Radio Network, the Jay Severin Show here on the Blaze Radio Network uh, Network is not about Megyn Kelly. It's really not about Megyn. She wants you to know that. And it's really not about her. So... Uh, I, I do owe you an update from the close of the show yesterday. I wish to follow up on one of the most important issues we've ever discussed here. Uh, about which I received, uh, well, just a landslide of response last night. And that is just to repeat that uttering the words guitar and rock and roll or blues and Peter Frampton in the same sentence is musical blasphemy because Peter Frampton sucks. one 888 Moose. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Dead moose. On the Blaze Radio Network. So Trump goes there. Trump went there last night in an interview with my bud Sean Hannity. Trump last night, as you may know, used the R word, not recidivism. We 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 could make a number of guesses. I know you that might be your first guess. Uh, Trump goes there, uses the R word, and the R word, of course, is rape, in characterizing Bill Clinton's behavior while president of the United States. People often forget Clinton was doing this stuff while he was. A student, he was doing this stuff when he was attorney general of Arkansas. He was doing this stuff when he was governor of Arkansas. He was doing this stuff when he and his wife, in an effort to make any money at all for the first time in their lives, got involved. And I've I've 
gee whiz, I, I talked about this when it was happening. That's how long I've been following the Clintons. But the uh, Whitewater Gate was very simply a, uh, a land scam. It was not illegal on its face, but since most states have made it illegal. And it's generally known as a uh, foreclosure scam. And as I presented it to you, I don't know that I've talked about it since I've been at the Blaze Radio Network. So that makes it years. But uh, it, it's, very, it's, it's very simple and it's very filthy. And that is, it, it was one of those things that you find on the back page of the Sunday insert, you know, in, in the Sunday paper. And it was had this picture of this babbling brook and a log cabin, and it was idyllic. You you know you you could just see the pioneers, your your ancestors. You could you know it was it was beautiful. It was everything everyone wanted for retirement or recreation or uh, summer house. It was I I could see. Henry David Thoreau in the background writing by the light of a bucolic sundown with the babbling brook and Bambi nearby munching on some bud. Uh, So Whitewater was, was that. Have your own little piece of paradise. And people did. And the deal was that if you, uh, and this was not unique, by the way, you know, these are going on now uh, to the extent they're legal, but a lot of them were going on then 30, 40 years ago. And the deal is, so you buy this thing, you take your life savings, they targeted old people, they targeted people with ready retirement cash. And they said, why let your life savings lay fallow? in a low interest bearing account. They actually did pay, it was the old days. Once upon a time, banks actually paid interest if you put your money in their banks. Uh, but so much for paleontology here. Let's let's bring it up to somewhat of current day. Uh, the, 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 the Clintons joined, were principals in this deal. And what you did was these retired couples were targeted. They signed on the dotted line. They bought their little piece of paradise, and if they if they missed a payment, any payment, one payment, uh, and I was reminded of this again today, just because uh, Rush mentioned it, and it it is, I believe me, I could talk about this for hours. I made myself a student of White Watergate, but the deal was again at the time legal, mostly. Uh, and and the deal was they targeted old people, and they bought this thing, uh, but of course they didn't own it, just like any other real estate or house or anything else. You don't own it until you own it, and so you must make your monthly mortgage payments, loan payments, whatever. If you miss one payment in this deal, you were thrown out. You were you were relieved of any rights attendant to the deal it was neat cut dried and simple you missed you missed a payment late payment 
That's it. You're out. You could have paid for 15 years in timely fashion. You miss one payment, everything's gone. You don't get a nickel. You don't get Henry David Thoreau as a bunkmate. You don't get Bambi. You have to bring your own bud, however you define that. In any case, it was a scheme to rob people, especially retirees, of their life savings. It was a quick turnover, quick turnaround scheme, a scam. It didn't work out as the Clintons had hoped. I believe they made money, but I I think the, the amount was modest. But this is the sort of thing from the beginning of Hillary Clinton is the most corrupt public figure that I know of in American history. And I mentioned it, I was reminded of it today because I heard Rush mention it, but it just brought forth a blossom of memories of everything that Hillary Clinton has done and is doing now. She's been selling her influence while she was Secretary of State by selling the Clinton Family Foundation. She's, they are absolutely corrupt, which brings me back to my stated sort of basic nut principle of why I expect, expect, anticipate that I will be voting for Donald Trump because I expect he's going to be the nominee of the party and I'm going to vote for the nominee of the party if if it's Minnie Mouse. I, I, I'll be voting for Minnie. I expect at this point that will be Trump. So that that is my thinking, which I've explained. But how, OJ, how, why, how do you know, isn't he really a liberal? My dear folk, support for Donald Trump, which I I don't yet pledge. He's not the nominee of my party. If he becomes the nominee of my party, my pledge will sound like this every time I say it. I'm just practicing it now. And I'll say this. My vote for Donald Trump is a calculated comparative, admitted risk of perhaps deep disappointment versus the absolute certainty of socialism, corruption, and ruin. We're lost in the jungle, and we... South America, we happen upon natives uh, with perverse humor and we say we're starving and they say, we'll get you some food. And they come back and they place in front of you two bowls of berries and they say, listen with most careful, this bowl and this bowl, very different, holy cow, holy cow chip. Holy spleen, holy death by poison. One of these berries will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. It will at least soothe your hunger. But another bowl of cherries, or berries, cherry berries, will kill you. A poisonous, horrible death. Now, this one could poison you. Could. 
But the other one will. You will die for sure. So which berry do you eat? Do you eat the berry that could end up being bland tasting and maybe you're still pretty hungry, but you're still living? Or would you go for the berry that is perhaps seemingly a little tastier, but you know is going to kill you? Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. So, uh, partners on the Blaze Radio Network, there, yeah, there are partners. Shirley's one of them. Shirley, welcome. Hi, Jay. My goodness. Hi, Shirley. I, I just wish I had your command of the English language. <laughs> well, Shirley, I just wish this were a picture phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is what? Which is what? I guess the uh, young those young people call Skype. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I have it, but I've never used it. It's like <laughs> nah. <laughs> you see that TV commercial where the young people come to visit their? I guess it's their grandparents. I'm not sure. Parents or grandparents, and they come out on the porch. Do the 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 uh, parents and grandparents and say, "Oh, it's so lovely to see you. Welcome back." And then they hand them all of this equipment and they say, here, none of this works. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know how to make this work. Your grandfather can't make his cell phone work. Here, here, take this. Help us. Absolutely. Anyway, so Shirley, what is on your fecund mind? Well, I started out, uh, let's see, we started out with the airplane flight from Paris to Egypt and profiling. And um, I'm very sorry to say, but I think profiling should be done. Um, Of course it should. And don't be sorry. Profiling (laughs) has been done since the moment we emerged from the ick. Those, those, those charts right. they have up on the wall when you're in high school where they show us starting as like a bump in the mud and then the next yep. stage is the bump, the bump develops kind of an eye and then in yep. the next one it's got like hair on it and something like yep. a stumpy leg propelling it at, you know, out of the muck and then it ends with a guy in a briefcase and glasses and a suit. Um, you, profiling only means... You know, you look down at the ground and you see a snake and you don't yeah. pick it up. That's profiling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've kind of like, okay, well, that's enough of that. I've said what I have to say on profiling. On Megan, oh, wasn't that show wasn't about Megan? That's not about Megan. And neither is this one, Shirley. It's not about Megan. She wants you to know that. Oh, I, I know. 
I I could I understood that from every uh, commercial that came on. It was like they had this little snippet of her and Trump, and she's saying, "Oh well, it's not about me." It's not about me, right? And you knew every time she reminded you, and there were I think there were about two hundred ninety eight uh, <laughs> occasions on which she reminded you, in case you had forgotten yes. that it's not about her. I'm trying to figure out where she's heading. Uh, what she, what's what's her next? What's on her agenda? Or on her a great big new contract that probably yes. pays her fifteen million dollars a year. Well, when I listen to Glenn, he's figuring that she's probably making almost that now. So she's probably going for even bigger time, or going maybe to yes. a yes. different. Network. Glenn would know more than I. I, I but uh, but I, I I suspect, with all due respect to the boss, I'd be surprised if under her current contract she's making even near half of that. Um, oh, I, well, I, I would say somebody... she's making a third of that now. But okay, I, I... what do I know? What do I know? You know, if you were going to talk think... to someone about money and your choices are me and Glenn Beck, I think you know where to go. Well, I, I, uh, asked, Shirley, uh, I have 10 seconds. We have blown through this splendid opportunity we had together, which I hope we can repeat. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Is it terror? Well, we don't yet know. But if you keep an eye day to day on the Clintons, I think you will conclude the answer to this question is, yes, it is domestic terror. Excelsior. Welcome back. Best and brightest we are. The Blaze Radio Network. 1-888-900-3393. one 3393 We spent a substantial portion of the first part of the opening hour of today's show talking about the various possibilities attendant to this plane crash and whether or not it is an act of terror. Uh, understandably, the media, because it's a far sexier story, that it's terror, even unsubstantiated speculation that it's terror is far sexier than it was uh, number A, 1928B, wingnut, you know, on the, uh, on the dulce carburetor in the secondary engine block. You know, that's not, none of that is sexy. Terrorism, sexy, ratings. So it's probably right, by the way, 
but that's where everyone's leaning for that reason. And also because it's probably right. I would add to this uh, only this. In the last hour, uh, I haven't learned anything. I haven't been watching it full time. I actually had a radio show to do with you. But I am reminded as we begin this hour of the show, one thing I did not mention at the beginning of the show today, and that is this equipment, which when you're dealing with the uh, sex trade industry or the airline industry, equipment has a an especial uh, meaning in the lexicon of the business, you know. Uh, so back to the airline industry for a moment, this equipment, uh, i.e., this aircraft made five different stops before, in 24 hours, within the 24 hours, think of this, within the 24 hours, I don't know why I find this unsettling, even even if the five stops were in America, if it were like Topeka, uh, you know, Toronto, Poughkeepsie, uh, 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 Miami and, and Dallas. I somehow the notion that the plane is so busy. Don't use up my plane. I want it to be new. I, uh, I quit using it up by flying it all over the place. You're making me nervous. Anyway, this aircraft made five trips, five stops, five airports. In the 24 hours before it took off from Paris, it had been in five cities. And I can't even pronounce most of those cities or some of those countries. Like one of the most cosmopolitan stops, one of the most well-developed areas where this aircraft uh, uh, stopped over was Tunisia. Oh, boy. There you go. There's safety. So you've got an aircraft that, yes, it could have been anything, and anything or anyone could have been generated by and through uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport in in Paris. Yes. But you know what? I, I happened, when it was still safe for a white man to do so, I have been very lucky and I've been most fortunate in travel and I have in my lifetime gotten to go to a lot of fairly, fairly exotic places. Uh, I'll admit not a lot of them in the Mideast and in Africa, but I've done enough travel in to, to non-conventional, some non-conventional places that a lot of us assume that the nature, the nature of security at airports is roughly universal. And, and though we appreciate, you know, in our minds that the nature and magnitude and sophistication of security at, you know, at, at LAX may be superior to the nature and magnitude and sophistication of security in like Somalia we don't actually really, really think about that until we're booking a flight out of Mogadishu. And then I think we start to think about it. And what I think is, 
if you've ever seen either uh, by personal experience or by uh, research, uh, by learning about this stuff, if you've ever seen the kind of security, quote unquote, (laughs) that they have in third world countries, I'm going to tell you this. At some of the five stops this plane made in the 24 hours preceding taking on its passengers in Paris, at three or four of the five stops this plane made, you or I could have ridden up to the airplane, right up to the airplane on the tarmac. There would have been no gates. Don't think about Don't think about a big terminal. Don't think about roadways. Don't think about gates or fences. You or I could have ridden up on a camel right up to the cargo bay of this aircraft. And on the back of the camel, we could have had a package that was sweating profusely, ticking loudly, and vibrating and and we could have had a sign on it in farsi that said oh bomb oh caution bomb and we could have jumped off the camel hauled down the sweating vibrating pulsating package labeled bomb and handed it to uh one of the highly trained background check baggage handlers and and said uh oh please holy cow would you please put this right on the conveyor belt into the belly of the plane right now must go i have to make sure it goes on i see you're, you're not going on flight brother no no i'm not i'm not no no not today Just, could you put this right on Oh, yes, brother. What is it, by the way? Oh, it's a bomb. Holy cow. It's a bomb. But uh, here are five drachma. Don't say anything. The nature of the... (laughs) what, What you and I would call security is non-existent at 99% of airports in the world. It exists at at 99% of the major hub airports of the world. But even then, believe me when I tell you, the security at the airport in Egypt, major airport, big city, important city, Egypt. But when I'm telling you that with the, the, the security of any kind in, in, in Cairo or in... Venezuela or anywhere in South America, anywhere in Mexico City, biggest city in the world. Don't fly in or out of the Mexico City airport if your big concern is security. I'm just saying that security is a fungible term. And if you ever want to know what fungible truly means, um, think of it for the moment as elastic that it's an elastic concept. And the, 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 the security that we have here, uh, which I'm not you know, greatly 
enthusiastic about to begin with. But man, you go to other parts of the world and you you wonder. Now the Japanese, when when I flew in and out of Japan, they twice copped my Swiss Army knife. I ne- couldn't believe it the second time. The first time I was just sort of amazed and charmed. You know what the Japanese did? They didn't get angry. They took my Swiss Army knife. They looked at it. They opened it. What's this for? And I said, "Well, I'm I'm climbing. I'm on. I'm going. You know, to meet friends at other destinations. I'm just stopping over here for a few days. But I, it's part of my gear. Uh, it's a Swiss Army knife. I, you know, Swiss Army knife. You get it? And they were very friendly. And they folded it up and they wrapped it in tissue. And they put it in a little box, which I swear." must have been manufactured just for Swiss Army knives. It was this little tiny box about the size of a cigarette pack. And it said, you know, Japan Airlines, and it was brightly colored, and it said, be careful, you know, caution. And they put that box on the flight in the cargo. So when I got to my next location, which I think was New Zealand, but wherever I got where I was going next, I waited for packages and all these huge boxes and, you know, huge suitcases, duffel bags are coming tumbling out of this thing in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, here comes out this like cigarette pack size box. And there it is my little wrapped up Swiss army knife. So some people are very diligent about it, but then give that and other things and other things to the Japanese. Jay Severin on the blaze radio network. Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, partners. And you are on the Blaze, one 888 Nate, welcome. Hello, Jay. How are you? Nate, I am well, sir. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, I love your show. Uh, I really kind of got hooked on you a few weeks ago when you were talking to a young guy who just became a new father and uh, uh-huh. really got me hooked on you. So, Oh, that was the uh, young man from Texas, I believe. Yes, sir. Uh, I called with a political prediction to kind of piggyback on your Ryan Rhino project, and I've seen a lot on the news recently about Trump's kind of stable of potential Supreme Court nominees. Yeah, I need to. I mean, it's getting late. I need to talk about that today, and uh, and uh, I do have something to say about it. Um, a good segue. Yeah, please go ahead. Uh, my my thought was, I'm, I'm wondering if kind of the establishment Republican Rhino Ryan project will kind of fade in to try and accept a nomination from Obama uh, to his. Supreme Court justice decision, and in turn, that kind of takes away Trump's ability to to promote a potential conservative candidate for his Supreme Court nominees, thus preventing 
the conservative base support of people, say, like crew supporters that are not necessarily never Trumpers, but more. Right. Well, well, let, let's cut to the chase, Nate. Unless you believe that Trump is dangling this, and some people do. I've gotten mostly from never Trumpers. Uh, people I love and respect, like Caleb is a never Trumper. Rocky is a never Trumper. Um, partners of this show are senior, you know, never Trumpers. But unless you believe, as I believe they do, that Trump is dangling this and it's horse manure and he's never going to actually appoint and work to get confirmed people from this list. If you believe that, then I certainly understand that, you know, you're, you know, you're incredulous. But if you believe, as I do, that Trump takes this list seriously, that this is one of the first occasions on which he is showing that he has at least adequate maturity to seek advice from people who know about this stuff. There's no way in the world Donald Trump would know about these judges on his own. This, this, this signals I am willing to seek and accept advice from people who, you know, it's like, it's like the signal he sends by going to meet with Henry Kissinger. Now, Henry Kissinger is 92 years old. He's not about to join the, you know, Trump uh, cabinet, uh, either because he wouldn't or because... Trump may not ask him or because, you know, uh, God willing, he'll live to be 93, uh, 103, I hope. But it's a signal that it sends. Well, this signal, Nate, is look at this list. And I'll tell you, I have in the last 24 hours had opportunity to research and glean impressions of, of serious conservatives who take the uh, Supreme Court very seriously as their top issue. And I've not heard a single conservative who is unhappy with this list. In fact, they're all happy with it. It's, 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 it's unanimity. What is suspended here is belief. Uh, this is the, the conservatives who like this list do say, some of them, I wonder if he either A, actually will fight for these, actually pick these from this list, or whether this is meant as a dangle, or B, even if he does fight for them, whether he can get some of these appointed. Well, of course, that falls back on can he maintain or increase his numbers in in the Senate. But the list itself has absolutely, Nate, the good housekeeping seal of approval from court watch from conservative court watchers yeah and i and i don't doubt that it does but my my thought is is that this is you know this is part of trump trying to win and trying to get the conservative base that he doesn't necessarily have right now and well yes although it could also be could it not simultaneously be what he's actually intending to do absolutely absolutely my my fear is is that the you know that Paul Ryan may step in and start doing some some dealings with the current president and attempt to get a confirmation of one of Obama's appointed Supreme Court justices. Sure, 
So sure. it's pretty much you look, you don't know. off of the table. We, we, you're, 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 you're right. We certainly don't know. Look, we don't. I'm surprised that we haven't seen Harry Reid or Bella Pelosi. She wants to suck your constitution. Uh, I'm surprised we haven't seen one of the bloodsuckers of the left come out and say, this list is exactly the opposite of what Trumpians are claiming it is. This list shows how immature and and ignorant Donald Trump is about politics. These are right-wingers who have been on a perpetual list for 30 years. They, they didn't, they're not on the court now because even Republican presidents knew they couldn't get them uh, uh, actually confirmed and they're not going to get them confirmed now. And he did this to dangle. This is just a dangle, uh, a little red meat for the conservatives. None of these people are ever going to be on the Supreme court. Now I don't believe that's true by the way. I'm just saying I'm surprised the left wing hasn't sprung into action, claiming that, trying to smear the choice. Well, I, I think if you give it a, give it a little time, that'll most yeah. certainly happen. So yes, <laughs> yes, give it time. You're right. You're right. They All will. Right, Dave, well, great they talking will. to you. Hey, Nate, I appreciate it. Thank you for your patience earlier for that wait. Nate was a great call. Yeah, look, um, uh, this is major for Trump. The SCOTUS picks are major. It represents in capsule form what conservatives are most still anxious about. You know, is Trump conservatively inclined, especially with regard to the Supreme Court? It also shows a serious guy. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. And partners, one 3393 Thank you for the job. And this job gets more exciting every day. And it's going to, for both of us, be only more. I mean, I, honest honest to God when I tell you, this is like warm-ups for, for what's going to happen. Can you imagine what, with Trump in charge, I assume he is, will be. Can you imagine what the Republican convention will be like? I mean, there's no way that Trump... Rush spoke about this today. We actually spoke uh, about it... Well, that sounds crappy. I don't mean to say... I'm not going to put it that way. Rush spoke about it today. Uh, uh, And I'll just say to, to save some dignity here, it's not a stranger to this show. Uh, The notion that if Donald Trump's in charge of the RNC, uh, I'm sorry, of the convention, it's not going to be like other conventions. It's not going to be like a yawn, like no one wants to watch it. Now, I'm not going to want to watch it. Well, I will. I will. But most people will not want to watch it. But I think a higher number of people than ever before will watch it because I think Trump understands that. It's all about entertainment, baby. Entertainment, baby. EQ, entertainment quotient. And if he can make the convention 
anything like Celebrity Apprentice. I mean, I just wonder what he'll do with that. You know, if I were producing it, I'd have, I would, I would winnow away the vice presidential running mate choices between now and the convention. We're only talking about, you know, we're not talking about a lot of time here. We're talking about weeks. So I would, I would name this field of candidates and then I would start to winnow them away without dissing them. You know, I wouldn't like say, okay, I have an announcement to make. Uh, Newt Gingrich actually sucks. He's too old and we're not having him. I mean, I'm not saying that I would chop them off. I would say I would add to the pool and then make it kind of clear, you know, by leaking and by my nature of attention as we got closer to the uh, convention. You make a real mystery out of it, right? Who's Trump going to pick? And Trump, of course, would start, will start working the notion of his vice presidential pick. Who's going to be my running mate? He's going to start working that. This is my guess, but it's a damned educated guess, uh, my folk. He's going to start working into his daily presentation. Who's going to be my running mate? He's going to stoke that fire like a bastard. And he's going to stoke it so that we get up to the convention and we're all frothing at the mouth here like, who's going to who's gonna be his running mate? And then what I would do, I think, I mean, I have to give this more thought, but it occurred to me a little while ago that I might say, okay, so I would have someone speak each night of the convention. I'd give a primetime speaking slot to each, without announcing it this way. I would just say, you know, Monday night, among the primetime speaking slots, one of them goes to Newt. Tuesday night, one of them goes to, or maybe two each night. I don't know. You have to work that out. But you've really got four nights of prime broadcast. So in those four nights, you have, say, two speakers per night mixed in with the other entertainment, such as he will make it. You'd have two people who would speak briefly, you give him give them eight minutes. If you understand media, you have to understand you cannot have. Bill Clinton is the greatest example of this. Bill Clinton gave the longest speech at a convention ever when he wasn't president. He was governor of Arkansas. I think he spoke for I'll have to look it up. I think he spoke for an hour and forty eight minutes or something. It's joked about to this day. It was like a Fidel Castro speech where people are killing themselves and being dragged out rather than spend another moment. No, you give these guys eight minutes and and let them give you their best. And on Monday night, you have Newt and you have Ted Cruz. And on Tuesday night, you have John Kasich and you have... A uh, little Marco, and on a Wednesday night, and then on the, and I'm just thinking out loud here, right? Then at the end of the week, you build toward the end of the week, and you make the 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 uh, Friday payoff is like the payoff at the end of a series. You make people watch, and in their minds at least vote. Hey, you know what? If I were producing this. I wouldn't be like a vote. I'd have a vote. 
I would have a box like American Idol. I'd have a box up there. I'd have people call an eight, a triple eight number and an SMS, uh, you know, text in. Who do you think should be vice president? I'd make it American Idol. And, you know, and by Friday, and again, you do it in a somewhat more tasteful way. We are talking about Donald Trump here. So uh, my aspirations for taste may be uh, somewhat unrealistic. But, you, you know, you build toward Friday and you've got each night. How did they do? What were the numbers? People texted in. They voted. Who's ahead? And then. And I know people who think this ought to be a, a matter of great seriosity will wince at this. And you're right. You're right. This is whoring out the process to entertainment. It's also called winning a presidential campaign in the year 2016 in a twerking culture. And so you turn the convention into American Idol. And on Friday night, you have the final, you bring out everybody And Donald Trump says to somebody, you're hired. Now, yes, I'm exaggerating. Yes, I'm mentally unstable. But no, these things are not implausible. Nothing, nothing is implausible anymore for the sake of entertainment. Now, switching topics uh, a little bit. This new Fox poll is getting more attention than a national poll ought normally to get. Because, again, we don't have a national election. State-by-state polls in swing states are a lot more important. But you know what? People don't understand them, don't relate to them as well as they do to national polls. There's no way around it. You say to the average American, I've got, Poll results here from Michigan, Florida, and Texas. And they say, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I've got a national poll. And they go, woohoo! national poll. As long as that's true, as long as people append to this process the mythology, you know, of the national election, then who's ahead nationally? is going to be sexy, is going to be entertaining. And that's why I'm seeing the evidence right now, and so are you, this newest Fox poll, and Fox poll has earned itself a reputation as being one of the top five most accurate in the last election cycle. It is now a well-respected, still a media poll, but a well-respected poll. Fox News poll says that Donald Trump has, for the first time, taken the lead over Hillary Clinton. This is an earthquake. This is an earthquake. Doug Schoen, the number one political mind in America, was on with Fox, with Harris Faulkner Sunday night, and he was off the hook, baby. He was telling truth. He was saying the Clintons, the Democrats, are out of their minds with panic about this. They never thought that Trump would be taken seriously. The notion that Donald Trump is not only within striking distance of Clinton, but ahead of her in May. Now, I've heard some arguments, and I well know from 
30 years in the business. I know the arguments. The arguments are Trump is new. Clinton hasn't had a chance to destroy him yet. He, he finally, his primary is essentially over and candidates always get a bump once they're, they become the nominee and the same thing will happen for Clinton. You know what? It won't. It won't. That doesn't mean Trump's going to win. But all of these rules about everybody gets a bump after their convention and everyone gets a bump equally after they're the nominee, it ain't true anymore. Nothing we know anymore is necessarily so. It ain't necessarily so. And so the notion that Donald Trump is ahead of Clinton in May, the notion that Trump's favorability has jumped 10 points in a month, that his unfavorables are now descending uh, down 10, 15 points, near 50% and dropping, and that Hillary Clinton's favorables are the lowest ever for a national candidate at this point in the campaign, 37. Hillary Clinton's, do you think, do you have a favorable view of Hillary Clinton? Among Democrats, the answer is 37%. Her unfavorables among likely voters, 61% unfavorable. And, as I think I mentioned, Bernie Sanders continues to beat everybody in the matchups. Our microphones were there. Our Blaze microphones were there when this news was given to Hillary Clinton. You know, this is my life's work advising major political campaigns. Uh, Been involved with a couple hundred of them nationally in most states and abroad. And so what we know right now proves absolutely nothing. Proves absolutely nothing. Except one thing. This proves that the guy who everybody said and about whom many, many people, and I'm going to guess many, many people you know, know maybe really, really well, are thinking, yeah, 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 but this guy can never win. Uh, Yeah, there are many people, many people that you know and I know that are saying, yeah, yeah, this this guy could never win. I'll tell you what the polling is showing right now. It's not showing that he will. It's showing that he can. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. And partners on the Blaze Radio Network, I wish to apologize, as I have in uh, tweet, to Rocky, a senior partner of this show and a great friend. I apparently misrepresented his position. Rocky wrote to say he's not a never-Trumper. He's a kind of a never-Trumper cum 
very grudgingly, ultimately, for Trump, if I have to, to prevent Hillary, which I regard as perfectly legitimate and also perfectly important, the distinction between the two. So, uh, Rocky, as I've tweeted to you, forgive me for misrepresenting your fix there. I thought I understood it. I didn't. Now, folks, the big fake book meeting was yesterday, and I really am torn uh, about this. And one of the reasons I'm torn is that Glenn Beck was invited. I'm torn, though, too, because I, as I said, I doubted from moment one that Mark Zuckerberg very seriously regards the people that he invited, let alone their point of view. And I really worry about it being a publicity stunt. The other reason I worry about it, and and from the list I've heard, the two people that comfort me in knowing they were there, Glenn Beck, and Tucker Carlson. I've known Tucker forever um, and have a history with him. It's a rather interesting one, which I'll, I'll maybe tell someday again. But uh, I love Tucker. He's a good friend, a uh, great friend. And uh, so, so Glenn was invited. Tucker Carlson was invited. This helps mitigate my anxiety about whether Zuckerberg was, you know, on a publicity stunt here. The thing that worries me is Dana Perino from The Five on Fox. Now, I, you know, I have mixed feelings about Dana. Most of them are mitigated now by the fact that I'm a happily married man. Uh, But in terms of her politics, as The Five has gone downhill, in my view... So, too, I mean, the the, the quality of opinion that's offered on the five has gone downhill, which I believe it has rather drastically. At the same time, has Dana's liberalism uh, come out of the closet? I mean, if you're going to anybody who thinks Dana Perino is a conservative is not safeguarding my position nor yours. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.